Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good to see you guys. Good to be back. Thank you so much, Randy, for last week. It was an excellent talk on Jesus, the storyteller. Again, so great to have people who can step in and step up so well. I um, want to thank everyone for uh, the prayers for Corrine and all the people who brought us food and called to see how she's doing. She is doing great. Um, she, is, she was up and walking the first day. Um, now she's skateboarding. No. Um, <laughs> but she's moving around so much better. Uh, I was telling some of the people here that the other night we went out to eat because um, we're celebrating Savannah's birthday. And after we ate, she just stood right up. And normally she'd have to like, give me a minute and she'd kind of gingerly get up and adjust herself. She just stood up and she didn't even realize it. She just, it wasn't, the pain's gone, so she stood up. So that's great. And we're grateful for that. And again, thanks to everyone who's been uh, considerate towards us, bringing us food and prayer and all those things. I do want to lift up Sue Benson in prayer. Just, I know that she was going to have some tests done. Um, I don't know how much information they want shared, so just be praying for her and some of the things that they're going through. And I know there's others going through a lot right now, but let's take some time here before we get started and be thankful, mindful of the people who we know that are going through things. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to be grateful for the goodness that is around us. And sometimes we are blindsided by difficulty and hardship. And it can take our minds off of your goodness. And Lord, we know that you are aware that that is the human experience even Jesus went through grief and cried out to you, why have you forsaken me? God, our hearts go out to those who are feeling forsaken right now, or maybe are not feeling forsaken, but are feeling distant from hope and peace. And Lord, even as people stepped in and brought tangible goodness to Corrine and myself while she was recovering. May we find ways to bring a tangible 
goodness to those around us who are in these difficult situations. Again, thank you for allowing us time to be mindful of the things that are important to you and to us. And we ask that this morning would be opportunity for us to grow in these areas. We do pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning. I want to start off by asking you guys two questions. The first question is, what is the core message of Jesus? And the second question is, what does it mean to be saved? And while you're pondering those two questions, I want to remind everybody that we are here because of your generosity. Uh, as you give, we are able to continue broadcasting, and you can give the various ways we show here on the screen. You could go to thegenesisstory.com and click on the Give tab. You can give through Zelle, through Venmo, or you can mail things to us. Um, we are not discriminating in the ways that you can give. We accept it. Um, and so appreciate everyone who has given and continues to support us. Uh, grateful for those things that you do. Okay, back to the questions. Um, and if you don't mind shouting it out, what is, in your idea, the core message of Jesus? Anyone? Love. 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 Okay. Salvation. Salvation. That goes into the next question. What does it mean to be saved? Reconciled, everlasting life. Great. I want to lean into those questions today. And to understand important themes in Scripture like those questions or words like saved or grace or faith or works, it's important to have an understanding of what was meant when those words were written down and given to the people they were written to. And I want to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that kind of touches on a lot of those big words. And it's Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8, verses 8 through 10 we're going to read. And you're probably familiar with these verses. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. The central message of Jesus, I believe, can be found before his first actual teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it said, From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there's a lot involved with that, but I believe that is the central message of Jesus that we see throughout his teaching and life and ministry is the idea that the kingdom of heaven 
is near. And remember the word near, or in some translations at hand, is not about time, it's about proximity, right? It's not like the kingdom of heaven is near, it's a few days away, a few days journey, or a few years, or it's in the future. The kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near, it's within your grasp. And I believe that that is the central message, right? The kingdom of God in Mark and in Luke and the kingdom of heaven in Matthew are similar, John uses the phrase eternal life, but I think he's kind of pointing to the same direction. And the word heaven was often used instead of the kingdom of God because they would not always use the word God or write it down out of respect. And so heaven was another word that they used instead of God to try and, again, bring the same idea. But heaven was not a place you go to after you die. It was the presence of God. And heaven was thought to be a place where God's authority was in rule. That's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It has to do with that. It has to do with that respecting how heaven is to be lived. The presence of God is to be lived where we are now living, because it is here. It is with us. And the reason it's important to kind of have this foundation is because the conversation that will unfold from this will change depending on our ideas of this message. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and the conversation is immediately tainted by the history of the relationship you're in, right? So if you, it happens a lot with parents and kids, right? Because parents are often telling kids what to do, how to do things, that there is a defensive mechanism. And so you ask your child, you know, hey, can you do this? Yeah, I was going to get to it. Hey, settle down, settle down. I wasn't trying to get on your case. I was just asking a question, Or if you're in a relationship with someone and there's been some hostility in the past, a lot of times we can bring that hostility into everything that we hear because of our past understanding. And I think that can happen with scripture as well. If we have an understanding that isn't maybe accurate, it will taint where the conversation goes or how the scripture is interpreted. And I believe that happens here in this passage When we start thinking about you are saved by grace, the idea of being saved has a meaning based on if we're going to hell or to heaven. We're saved from hell and we're going to heaven. And what I need to do is step back a little bit so that we can get a a little bit bigger picture. We need to remember what kingdoms are. Kingdoms are places that belong to kings, duh, right? It's a place where someone or something is in power and ruling over. That's the idea of a kingdom. And in ancient times and in ancient temples, there would be images of their gods in the temple, 
which oftentimes, like for Egypt, could include the pharaohs. Or in the Roman times, it could include the image of Caesar, who was thought to be a god. So in the temples would be the image of their god, and it was to give them homage. It was to say that we show your sovereignty by giving this representation of who you are in this place of worship. And unlike churches today, temples were made for the gods, not for the people. There weren't large seating areas where people would come in to worship the various gods. Even in the Hebrew temple, the temple and the altar was for the priest, and in the holy place was for only the high priest, and it was in the outer courts that the Gentiles or women or others could be in. But the temple itself was dedicated to God. And so there is this idea of the temple as being a place where God is represented, where he is honored, where the God is acknowledged. And although the Hebrew temple didn't have images of God because it was forbidden, in fact, the Romans, when they ransacked the temple, they mocked them because there were no gods in it. It's like, there's no gods in here. What kind of temple is this? Because there were no images. But instead of a statue or image, there is what we call the mercy seat or the meeting place. This was the, the central place. This is where God was represented, was in this box, basically, with the angels covering over the Ten Commandments and the staff of Aaron, and it was there to represent God's presence with his people. And you guys, this is so abbreviated, what I'm talking about today. I I, I really was rustling with how much to go into these things, because I could listen to these things and be really interested, and I could probably bore you guys to death with some of the the nuances and things here. And if you're interested in finding maybe a little bit more, you could read Scott McKnight's book, uh, Reading Romans Backwards, uh, The Gospel of Peace in the Midst of Empire. That's a great book um, if you want to go some further places with this. And I'll let you know some other books too that might be of interest to you. But when we go through, when we went through Genesis and Exodus, and we saw the tabernacle and then later the temple, we looked at how those were images of the actual creation. That what happened when they were building the tabernacle was to mimic what God had done at the beginning of creation. And at the center of creation, there was a garden where God walked with Adam, which means son of earth, and Eve, which means source of life, who together bore God's image. What did they do with that image? They exchanged it for a lie. And I believe this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. When he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. I think he's pointing back to what took place in that story of the garden and is saying this is a story that keeps repeating itself throughout human history. 
where we're believing a lie instead of following in the image that God has created us to be in. How did they worship and serve? They listened to and followed after what they heard. And so that became their narrative instead of being in the image of God. We bear whatever, or the image we bear is seen by the actions that we do, right? Gosh, about 15 years ago, I I remember my kids were younger, of course, and I would have these different events happen. I remember one time we were doing, I think, Bible studies at our house there, and one of the guys who was coming to the Bible studies had a drinking problem, and he came when we weren't home and just my daughter was home, and he started banging on the door wanting to see me, and she called the police, and you know they had to take him away. And I remember the police coming to the door one time and I started talking to them and they asked me my name and I said, my name's Sam Scotty. And he goes, Scotty, do you have a son? And I said, well, I have three sons. Uh, which one are you referring to? And it happened more than once where I would have an encounter with policemen in our area and they would know me by my son, one of my sons. The, their their name was Renown in the city of Upland. <laughs> they were bearing witness. Their name was now considered my name. And I am, again, grateful for my sons. They are in a different place now. They are doing wonderful. It's just how we live shows what image we bear. It declares what's going on within our lives. And so what does this have to do with Ephesians 2.8? It's to help us have a clear understanding of what is meant by saved. I believe that salvation is pointing us back to the image we were meant to bear. And what Jesus did in life and teaching was a familiar pattern trying to restore the image of God in humanity. And so we see that throughout the letters written. When Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, God presented him, Jesus, as a propitiation. And there's a word there that, man, that word means a lot. It's the word... Hilasterion, and some translate it as atoning sacrifice, some just the word propitiation, but how they even got that word is based on what they already thought. We, we kind of looked at that when we saw how they translated some things based on, you know, what they already believed, like Julian, you know, became a, a name that they changed because they didn't want to have the feminine name. So the translators put a name in there that made sense to them. That's sort of what's happening here. This word is actually the same word that's used in Hebrews 9.5 that means mercy seat. And so if you think God presented him, Jesus, as the mercy seat through faith in his blood, 
it, it takes on a different connotation. It takes on a different meaning instead of someone who who is taking away something instead of this, it's someone who represents a place where something happens. And Scott McKnight and others see this passage as God presenting Christ as the mercy seat, which would bring to mind the day of atonement in which the entire temple was cleansed from sin, through which Israel's sins were carried away and forgiven. And this would mean that Jesus is now the meeting place between God and humanity, just as the Ark of the Covenant was for Israel. And it would mean that Jesus is the means of cleansing humanity from its sin. Jesus in his body and blood, and think of the bread and the cup, right, is the union of heaven and earth, the place, person through which we receive mercy In other words, Jesus is the mercy seat where heaven and earth meet. What was the purpose of cleansing the temple? Why did they have to cleanse the temple? Right, The day of atonement, they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to cleanse it. It was so that the nation again could be the light to the other nations. Isaiah 49 talks about that. What did Jesus say on the Sermon of the Mount? You are the light of the world. He is taking on that purpose that was pictured back there in the temple. So what is salvation? It is in part restoring the image of God in humanity through the one who bore that image completely all the way to the cross. Salvation is the renewal of the human person that is embodied. Salvation is something that takes place with us and our entire being. It's not just my soul. It's not just my spirit. It is to include my body. And that's why the idea of salvation is used in a past, present, and future tense, right? In 2 Timothy 1, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. That's a past tense, In 1 Corinthians 1, it is God's power to us who are being saved. That is something that is present and happening now. And in Romans 13, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And there is multiple places where we see this. Salvation is in the past, it's in the present, and it's in the future. Why? Because we are continually embodying the image of God through our lives. It's not just something that happened. I said a prayer and I got saved and now I'm going to heaven. Salvation is a way of living out my life with God in a way that is seen, understood by all the areas I'm involved with, with how I interact with people, with my devotion in myself. It encompasses the totality of who we are. And so it's not meant to be something that's just separated from our day-to-day life. I am supposed to be 
showing salvation when I go to work. I'm supposed to be showing salvation when I'm at home with my family. I'm supposed to be showing salvation when I'm alone and no one's there. Salvation is something that is taking part continually with me. So can we lose our salvation? If you mean not bear God's image the way I should, then yeah. If you mean never be able to bear God's image again, then no. You see, trying to to make this a dualistic thing, you either are or aren't, doesn't jive with what we see happening throughout scripture. And so I was told there's saints and ain'ts. That's what I was told. You either are in, you're either out. Well, sometimes I bear the image of Christ and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I have to repent and recognize that God's kingdom is present and I am to live into it, which is working out my salvation with fear and trembling. How can I work out my salvation? I thought it was grace. Well, we're going to get to that. But salvation is something that we live into not just experience. That doesn't mean that we don't have experiences where salvation is taking place, but it's much more. So there's a a constant appeal to us to lean into this, right? And that's what I think Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the sage, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Presenting your bodies as living sacrifices. Isn't that what Jesus did? He lived his life in honor of God because the kingdom was there and he was living it out. That's how we are supposed to live. And the not being conformed to the world, what was the world that they're talking about? It was empire. It was a world that dominated over. It was a world that usurped authority too. And Jesus says, it won't be so like you. If you wanna be great, you have to be the servant of all. If I have washed your feet and you call me Lord, what are you supposed to do? We're supposed to carry on that characteristic and be the light of the world by embodying this salvation, by living it out. This is so different from accepting Jesus so that we are saved from hell to go to heaven. This is about embodying the image of God continually in all areas of our life because the kingdom is present and near. And we are living into that. And that transcends time, right? That, that transcends into the culture that Jesus was in and that we are in now and that our kids will be in the future. That is something that we can always lean into. It's a, a presence and a picture that we can be a part of. Because when we get our eyes focused on a salvation that is less than this, 
what we can start to do is become very judgmental in how people are living out their life without understanding that it is a process of continuation. And then we're finding out, are you in or are you out? I don't know if they're really saved because they do this, they did that. They're not doing this. And salvation becomes this thing that we decide who's in and who's out based on what we decide based on our preference in scripture of what is allowed and what isn't. And then we see Jesus having you know, meals with thieves who are the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, the priests saying, you can't be the representation of God. Look who you're hanging out with. And that's because their idea of salvation was one that didn't recognize the working of God to restore the image of God in humanity. You know, my kids are not the same that they were 15 years ago. I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. And I don't want to hold them or myself accountable to every mistake I've made in my past. And I am not being held accountable to everything that I have done wrong in the past. I am being held accountable to the image I bear throughout my life. We all are. And it's a natural thing. We reap what we sow. That's how we move forward. And so when we read Ephesians 2, for you are saved by grace through faith. When we hear that word saved, may our minds go to a place. We are being restored to the image of God. We are invited into the meeting place where Jesus is the example and the means by which this takes place. And as we walk as he walked, we start to bear that image that he bore. And that's why if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What's the new creation? It is the image of God restored in that person. That's what we are moving towards. That's what we are leaning into. That is how salvation continues in and through us. As we bear his image and live under that rule as if his kingdom is here and present. Let's pray. Lord, I hope we can wrestle with some of these things and thoughts and maybe how they fit into our understanding of who you are and what you are doing and what salvation means and how it is being presented. May it provoke us to think about how do we share these things? Maybe it has to be different than the way we've been taught. Maybe we have to recalibrate our understanding of what gospel is and what it means to be witnesses. 
And I pray that this would have provoked us in that way somehow to take steps in a direction that helps transform us in the way we see ourselves in the world around us. I do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I look forward to this conversation afterwards. I also want to know from you, there's so many more places we can go that I'd like to get your input on, whether we go into what does it mean to be saved from the wrath of God. Uh, We could go down that path, or we can go right into grace and faith and some of the other words. So look forward to that conversation with you guys. But may you recognize the image that is yours in Christ. May you lean into it, for it is near. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.